Hello, hello, hello. I'm Chris Lingle. We are here at Donkey Fish Studios in Austin, Texas, and you are now in the storm. Uh, I missed everyone last week. Work got kind of crazy. I got kind of old, uh, gimped around two days due to an Achilles injury. Uh, it stunk. But rather than waste the time totally, we decided to get the north campus of the studio in order. And so here we are. Um, uh, new backdrop, uh, the other backdrops at the main campus. So, uh, been a busy couple of weeks. Uh, decided to just throw away the script from last week. The news is moving so fast, it was no good anyway. Started fresh yesterday. Um, we'll steer into the storm in Ukraine first. Putin is at the negotiating table with the Iran deal. It's some leftover uh, minutia uh, from Kerry's negotiating days. Um, that's another story, I suppose. But Putin is at the negotiating table uh, for the Iran deal. Uh, we're negotiating with a war criminal and the world's number one state sponsor of terrorism. Ain't that just fantastic? Uh, Putin shows no signs of stopping. Uh, Secretary of State Blinken says Putin committed war crimes. He says Putin may be considering chemical weapons, uh, may be considering tactical nukes. He issued China a stern warning. Mm. Let me tell you something. Putin represents an existential, an existential threat to the entire world with the exception maybe of China. Uh, the world better wake up, man up, and stand up. Uh, the world needs to put up a united front against this madman. The world needs to set some boundaries for this spoiled little toddler. The world better start, start drawing some lines in the sand. Um, they better let this despot know that we're not going to tolerate his atrocities anymore. If the world doesn't do that, then they don't deserve our help. They don't deserve our treasure. And they certainly don't deserve the blood of our children. Um, it would seem the world wants us in this conflict. Uh, all of Western Europe sits in range of this maniac's reach, and Western Europe should be the tip of the spear. Uh, they should be leading the alliance. Uh, Western Europe uh, should be at the head of the charge. One would think China would be on edge. Well, they're at the other side of, of the border of Russia, so uh, why aren't they on edge? Well, they're not. Uh, they're actually helping Russia. They're not on edge at all. Ping is helping the Russians. He's provided them with the banking uh, systems that we took out in the sanctions. Um, Ping is waiting to see what happens with Putin so he can invade Taiwan after nothing happens to Putin. Uh, it feels to me as if the whole world is just waiting for the United States to get into this war. Uh, that feels pretty wrong. Uh, I know I pushed for a more aggressive stance an episode or two ago, or actually for the last two or three episodes. Uh, as I look at this more and more, it seems we're being goaded into this war. It's taking Russia a very long time to dispatch the Ukrainian military. Um, one would think that had been taken care of in a few days. It's just kind of weird. Anyway, we are certainly being goaded into accepting $5 a gallon gasoline. We're certainly being goaded into accepting inflation that is off the charts. Both things that were coming regardless of Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Um, 
from what I've seen, and I told my wife this in the first week of the war, it seems the world is dependent upon the people of Russia. The United States, even Western Europe, can do whatever they want. But the true power to stop this insanity lies with the Russian people. Uh, the world waits to see if they will at least grow weary of the sanctions or at best grow angry at Putin because he's dragged them into a war with Ukraine. He slaughtered their brothers and their sisters in his maniacal quest for power. And he's made them a pariah upon the earth. Uh, I suppose the world waits to see if the Russian people really do want the old mother Russia back. Biden, meanwhile, asked the question, can democracy be sustained? As he headed off to deal with, uh, to meet with uh, Xi Jinping. Um, that was last week. Uh, Ping doesn't believe it. Uh, technology is changing, Biden said. Democracies don't have time to arrive at consensus. Uh, that's why autocracies will succeed. Uh, that's what Biden said. Doesn't sound like Sleepy Joe believes democracy is sustainable either. Um, do you really think Sleepy Joe is concerned with democracy? Uh, no, he's not concerned with capitalism either. Of course he's not. His platform is to jam the Green New Deal down our throats, usher in more socialism, and then eventually communism. After all, socialism is only communism light. Uh, I said it last episode that this war in Ukraine is a prelude to communism in the United States. Listen to the rhetoric from the president. Democracy is unsustainable. He said it, not me. Uh, technology moves too fast for democracies to arrive at consensus. He said it, not me. Uh, I was tilting my head last week. I'm shaking it this week. We have people in Congress that are salivating over this opportunity. Rashida Tlaib, Ilan Omar, Alicia Ocasio-Cortez, just to name a few. Tlaib, Omar, the rest of the squad, they despise America and they hate capitalism. Uh, Chuck Schumer, he hates everybody. Nancy Pelosi rarely looks down to see who she's stepping on. Uh, Maisie Hirono is another one who hates capitalism. She hates America. She loves the capitalist tourists that flock to her island paradise. She loves those oil tankers that supply her with the lifeblood necessary to sustain the island paradise. But she hates big oil, and she hates capitalism. We have a mainstream media that sings in lockstep with these jackbooted communists. They embrace the narrative of the left at all costs, and they will assist greatly in our transition to state-owned everything. I think it was Nikita Khrushchev who said he didn't need to worry about conquering America. It would conquer itself from within. Well, you've been witnessing this for a couple of decades now. Putin is threatening a cleansing of society as Russian oligarchs and other Russians express displeasure at the war in Ukraine. This guy is a madman who is hell-bent on reconstituting the Soviet Union. This is his dream. He's going to use the military of a superpower in order to see that dream to fruition. Uh, he's capable of anything. He's priming the pump to use chemical weapons or tactical nukes in Ukraine right now. Cleansing of society? Are you kidding me? My, how Hitler-esque, how Stalin-esque, how Mao-esque. After all, Mao surpassed Hitler and Stalin by far. He slaughtered 45 million souls before he was even through with his great leap forward. 
He starved him to death. But I digress. Putin would seem to be Hitler incarnate. We all better hope the Russian people wake up sooner than the Germans did and do something about this madman. Um, Western Europe and NATO, they should stop talking about what they're not going to do. Everything is on the table. Everything is on the table. Or do you intentionally negotiate from a position of weakness? Uh, We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. No one has stood up to this bully. No one has even said what they wouldn't tolerate. Uh, He shelled civilians. He blew up a theater. It was being used as a bomb shelter. He killed hundreds. He's blown up high-rise apartment buildings. I suppose no one wants to draw that line in the sand. Um, What happens when he uses chemical weapons? What happens when he uses tactical nukes? Um, He's done it before. I don't know if he'll do it this time. I'm not sure he's in this to win Ukraine. Uh, As I said, kind of tilting my head at this a little bit lately. 7,000 Russian troops dead in three and a half weeks of the first three and a half weeks of the war. Uh, Putin has has got to be feeling some pressure. Uh, The morale of Russian troops has got to be deteriorating. Um, Four of his top generals were dead. This was last week. Um, As his corner gets smaller, what is he prepared to do? Um, Is he bluffing? Is he infected with tertiary syphilis? Therefore insane? I don't know. Um, As his corner gets smaller, seriously, what's he going to do? Everyone talked about an off-ramp a few weeks ago for this guy. And our president is talking about regime change, um, saying Putin has to go. Well, Mr. President, You want to talk about backing somebody into a corner? Hmm. Well, speaking of the president, let's move on. As I said a couple episodes ago, everything is going to be expensive. Everything. Um, Let's just go green now completely. Let's look at the plan as Putin shuts off his oil supply, which we could find somewhere else and we could produce it here cheaper, cleaner, that's another story. We talked about this, that last week as well. Uh, let's just go green completely. Shut down domestic drilling. Move to coal-burning cars. And not have the infrastructure to support it. Um, look, energy's energy. Whether it's fuel driving a, a fossil fuel-powered car or electricity driving the beast that we, we t- the coal burners I'm talking about. Ask Einstein. Energy is energy. You can oil up a wind turbine with a few trucks you gassed up with diesel and drove 80 miles outside of town, or you can top off an 80-foot seagoing vessel, and you can service those wind farms out at sea. Um, either way, you're still reliant upon fossil fuels. You can cover a few thousand acres with solar panels, You're going to service those with trucks, the workhorse of the industry, gas-powered trucks to keep those solar panels in operation, just like you do the wind turbines. And what do you do with all the waste from any of this stuff when it's time to replace it? That's, again, a story for another day. We could easily place solar panels or Tesla roofs on every household in America. 
Uh, that would immediately solve the energy needs for most of the residential customers on the grid. Uh, we could make it affordable, probably at no cost to the homeowner if you really wanted to, and you could account for a huge percentage of energy required to run the nation, uh, let alone the world. You could sell your surplus energy back to the grid to ease the needs of commercial industry that can't necessarily rely on solar and wind to drive their business. Uh, well, you can sell it back to the grid, but they can't sell that. They don't make any more money until you replace batteries or roof panels. The last thing they want is for you to be power self-sufficient. Why? Because how would they pay for all the lines that transmit all the power to your house now? How do they pay for all the folks who service those lines? How do they pay for all the trucks and the fuel that gets those folks out to service those lines that bring the power to your home? You think the energy industry likes dollar a fifty, dollar fifty a gallon gasoline? You think the power company wants you to produce your own power? The energy industry hates low prices almost as much as the pharmaceutical industry, which provides me as a nice segue, since we're talking about high prices in the pharmaceutical industry, let's get back to the evil little man, Tony Fauci. How much longer are we going to listen to Tony Fauci? How much longer are we going to let him tell us that COVID-19 is the pathogen to beat all pathogens uh, it's never going to be beaten. Well, it's never going to be beaten with his 40 years of tutelage in the industry, uh, his 40 years of control over infectious diseases in the world. Uh, if Tony Fauci and Bill Gates have their way, I mentioned them together because they are joined at the hip. Um, if they have their way, no one will ever be fully vaccinated, ever. No patent-expired drugs will ever work on anything else again, ever. They're both criminals, and they need to be held accountable. Let's just leave it at that. Fauci says we must be able to pivot at any time to a more heightened state of readiness against a bug he developed in China because the research is illegal here. He's the only one who has the remedy, too. He's out there right now. He's touting your next booster. Fauci cares about two things. Fauci cares about Fauci, and Fauci cares about the drugs he's developing, the drugs which he collects royalties on through the NIH and the NIAID. Uh, you remember we spoke about what Fauci did to discredit hydroxychloroquine on previous episodes. Now I want to tell you what he and his pals at the WHO, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, I want to tell you what they did to obliterate ivermectin. That's right, IVM, the dreaded Horse dewormer. Yep, we're going back to RFK Jr.'s book, The Real Anthony Fauci. Let me tell you, if you're highlighting passages in a book that you think are relevant uh, because they contain data that you might want to share with others, let me just show you. That's what it looks like. That's what highlighted passages that are relevant looks like in RFK Jr.'s book, The Real Anthony Fauci. Um, it's all appropriately referenced. It's all appropriately sourced. It's all bibliographied. Um, at the end of each chapter, 
are the footnotes and the bibliographies for each chapter. And let me tell you something. They're as thick, they're as long as the whole chapter, and the printing is, is minute compared to the printing in the rest of the book, and it's all stacked together. So it is appropriately referenced and sourced. So before you start saying this is different disinformation, before you thro- start throwing shade on RFK Jr. or me, every, every piece of data I give you is from this book. It's bibliography. It's referenced. Check it out before you discount it. Um, with hydroxychloroquine, with ivermectin, Fauci deliberately spearheaded a vast campaign to deny Americans uh, life-saving drugs, cheap, life-saving, proven effective, patent-expired drugs that could have shortened the pandemic in a huge way and saved over a half a million lives. Fauci and Gates had a $48 billion investment in their little vaccine project, and hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin stood in their way. Uh, If IVM and HCQ work on COVID-19, there is no vaccine. Why? Um, If IVM and HCQ work on COVID-19, there's no remdesivir. There'd be no need to issue an emergency use authorization. None of them would have ever made it to market. You don't get an emergency use authorization if you have drugs on the market that work against a malady. You don't need to authorize anything. Use the drugs off-label to treat. That's what we've done for 100 years. The last thing, the pharmaceutical industry, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the WHO, the NIH, and Tony Fauci want is cheap, off-patent medications that work. Uh, Fauci's been a running, uh, uh, he's been running a racket for about 40 years. Billions of dollars in taxpayer funds allocated to projects in which he and the NIH and the WHO have a vested interest in. Projects involving products, vaccines, medications that they will hold the patents for and collect royalties on each and every year for the profits generated by those drugs uh, and the vaccines. That's good work if you can get it. Fauci and his pals launched a war on hydroxychloroquine, a very successful war, as it was not used widely within the United States at all during the pandemic. We threw shade all over it. Let's talk about the other war that Fauci and Big Pharma prosecuted against ivermectin, the dreaded horse dewormer. Um, A while back, a couple of Merck scientists won the Nobel Prize for developing IVM as a powerful antiparasitic for use in her in humans, it cured all kinds of parasites. Um, that was the Nobel Committee's first recognition of this type of this type of drug, this type of, of of infectious disease medication in about sixty years. It was of such significance that the WHO included ivermectin among its essential medicines. I'll tell you what an essential medicine is. An essential medicine is a remedy so safe, so necessary, so efficacious that the WHO deems it easy, deems easy access to them as essential to satisfy the priority health care needs of the population. Um, the WHO has known about ivermectin for quite a while. They recommended administering IVM to ensure populations, uh, to entire populations, to treat people that might have a parasitic infection that might 
have a parasitic infection. This means that the WHO considers the medication safe enough to be dispensed to people who haven't even been diagnosed with anything yet. Researchers at Japan's uh, Kitasato Institute said, uh, said this about ivermectin in a 2011 paper. There are a few drugs that can seriously lay claim to the title of wonder drug. Penicillin and aspirin being the two that have perhaps had the greatest beneficial impact on the health and well-being of mankind. But ivermectin can also be considered alongside those worthy contenders based on its versatility, its safety, the beneficial impact that it has had on and continues to have worldwide, especially on hundreds of millions of the world's poorest people. Uh, these sta- these, uh, there are three statues. There's one at the Carter Center, there's one at the World Bank headquarters, and the one, there's one at the World Health Organization headquarters. They all honor the development of ivermectin. Statues honor, honoring ivermectin's development. The World Bank, the Carter Center, and the WHO to honor a horse dewormer. Wow. Since 2012, multiple in vitro studies have proven that IVM inhibits the replication of a wide range of viruses. That's why those three statues honor its development. Um, You see, ivermectin wasn't just pulled out of someone's ass. It had already been proven to inhibit viral replication. It demonstrated these viral killing effects on things like Zika, dengue, yellow fever, and West Nile. April 3rd, 2020, an an article by Manesh and Melbourne Universities and the Royal Melbourne Hospital in Australia was entitled, Lab Experiments Show Anti-Parasitic Drug Ivermectin Eliminates SARS-CoV-2 in Cells in 48 Hours. Kyle Wagstaff, the lead researcher, said this, We found that even a single dose could essentially remove all viral RNA within 48 hours, and that even at 24 hours, there was a really significant reduction in it. Peru adopted IVM and its treatment guidelines as a result of this paper. COVID deaths dropped by 14-fold where IVM was distributed. In all states where IVM was distributed, case rates and deaths dropped accordingly proportionately, appropriately. December 2020, Peru's new president, under pressure from the WHO, he restricted access to ivermectin and COVID cases rebounded. Well, they dropped 14-fold when they put them on ivermectin. Guess how much they dropped when they took them off of it? 13-fold. Imagine that. Argentina, summer of 2020, Dr. Hector Cavallo, conducted a randomized placebo-controlled trial of ivermectin as a preventative, finding 100% efficacy against COVID. 788 workers took weekly ivermectin. Not one of them became infected. Um, Out of the 407 members of the control group, 58% of them got COVID and became ill. The control group got the placebo. 58% of them became ill. 407, 58% of them became ill. 788 workers took ivermectin. None of them got ill. Another noteworthy, 
I'm sorry, noteworthy aspect of ivermectin found in a 2021 study. The study demonstrated that a key biological mechanism of ivermectin, uh, competitive binding with SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. It wasn't specific to any coronavirus variant. It was not specific to any coronavirus variant. Therefore, unlike vaccines, IVM would most probably be extremely efficacious against all future variants. Hmm. Since March of 2020, more than 20 randomized control studies have confirmed outstanding, nearly miraculous efficacy against COVID for inpatients and for outpatients. Six out of seven meta-analyses of these studies showed notable reductions in COVID mortality. Dr. Harvey Reich, eminent eminent Yale epidemiologist, says that only studies, uh, the only studies where IVM's performance was anything less than stellar were studies that were conducted on patients that were way late in the process, patients treated in the very late stages of COVID-19. January of 2020, Dr. David Chesler, a geriatric specialist who had treated 191 COVID patients at seven Virginia nursing homes, wrote to Fauci. He touted an 8% mortality rate. He used ivermectin on those residents. 8% is half the U.S. average in nursing homes, half the U.S. average of the death rate in nursing homes. That's 146,000 deaths if you extrapolate that across all the nursing homes and all the deaths in the nursing homes. Uh, 146,000 unnecessary deaths at nursing homes in the United States due to Fauci blocking ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine as treatment for COVID-19. Um, well, the good doctor, he, he, he contacted Fauci, never heard back from him. Never heard back from him, never heard back from anyone else at the NIAID. Um, the Annals of Dermatology and Venerology reported that all 69 residents in a French nursing home, average age of 90, along with 52 staff members, all survived a COVID outbreak at the facility. Now get this, as luck would have it, they all had taken ivermectin for a previous outbreak of scabies at the nursing home. Um, seven of the residents, four staff members, were affected by the virus with only mild symptoms. None required hospitalization. None of them even required oxygen therapy. Amazing. Lots of research suggests that uh, ivermectin may work. It works through as many as 20 different mechanisms. Uh, one of those is as an ionophore. It helps zinc enter the cells. Um, it facilitates the transfer of zinc into the cells. Zinc inhibits viral replication. That's why you see it as a main ingredient on most of your cold remedies and flu remedies on the shelf in your local pharmacy. Um, uh, ivermectin also reduces inflammation. So it helps get zinc into the cells to block Viral, replica, viral replication within the cells <clears throat> and it reduces inflammation, both of which are devastating effects of COVID. Um, um, inflammation, reducing inflammation protects the organs against damage. Uh, in my experience, it would help with the blood clots we see in COVID too. Inflammation begins the clotting cascade, platelet aggregation, things like that. COVID-19 also attaches to ACE2 uh, receptors on human cells. Well, guess what? 
Ivermectin impairs the spike, potri- spike protein's ability to bind with ACE2 receptors. It stops the virus from entering the cell on a couple of different fronts. IVM also prevents blood clots through binding to the spike protein and binding to a molecule on red blood cells that would trigger a clotting cascade. Uh, March 2021, Peter McCullough, 57 other frontline physicians in multiple countries published this. Our early ambulatory treatment regimen was associated with estimated 87.6% and 74.9% reduction in hospitalization and death through utilization of ivermectin. Other studies echo these results. The average mortality reduction over 18 trials was 75%. Uh, The WHO sponsored a meta-review of 11 studies that suggested ivermectin can reduce COVID mortality by 83%. Um, uh, The author of that meta-analysis, we'll talk about him later, Dr. Andrew Hill. On average, if used prophylactically, ivermectin prevents 86% of adverse outcomes. Ivermectin protected six out of every seven people that took it prophylactically. A January 2021 study in The Lancet stated that IVM dramatically reduced the intensity and duration of symptoms and viral loading. Uh, Back in March of 2020, Dr. Paul Merrick one of the best-known and well-published professors of intensive care medicine, chief of intensive care medicine at Eastern Virginia Medical School, he recruited a team of folks just like him, accomplished just like him, published just like him, respected just like him. He put this team together to brainstorm, to systematically research all possible approaches to COVID. The group became known as the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance. By mid-April of 2020, these guys decided there was enough evidence to add ivermectin to their treatment protocols. IVM kept the disease from progressing to the hyperinflammatory cytokine-storming phase of the disease. Um, If you catch it, you treat it with ivermectin, as we discussed earlier, treat it with hydroxychloroquine. You can stop the disease from getting to the deadly stage. Uh, We could have stopped this thing dead in its tracks. Um, they also used it with some success in critically ill patients. However, uh, most of the studies show that these drugs, you get in there early, you'll stop it in its tracks. December of 2020, FLCCC President and Chief Medical Officer Dr. Pierre Corey said this in his testimony to the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs. He said six studies with a total of over 2,400 patients, all showing near perfect prevention of transmission of this virus in people exposed to COVID-19. Three randomized controlled studies and multiple large case series involving over 3,000 patients showing stunning recovery among hospitalized patients and four large randomized controlled trials involving 3,000 patients, all showing large and statistically significant reductions in mortality, when treated with ivermectin. And they kept this drug from all of us. They laughed at those who managed to get it and were cured. They brushed their recovery aside. Corey and the FLCCC went to the NIH Treatment Guidelines Panel on January 6, 2021. They invited a guy by the name of Dr. Andrew Hill. I mentioned him 
just a second ago. He had authored a meta-analysis of IVM for the World Health Organization. Um, This is significant, as I said before, but let's hear from Dr. Corey first. Corey testified before the panel that IVM could reduce hospitalizations by almost 90% and deaths by almost 75%. Corey, along with Peter McCullough, Joe Ladapo, uh, he's the Florida Surgeon General, Dr. Robert Malone, uh, he was the inventor of the mRNA, mRNA vaccine, and a host of other renowned physicians believe that early treatment with IVM would have avoided 75 to 80% of deaths and saved us a trillion or so dollars. I believe that's a low estimate. I think it's about $4 trillion. Corey testified, COVID resulted in 6 million hospitalizations and 700,000 deaths in America. If hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin had been widely used instead of systematically suppressed, we could have prevented 75% or at least 500,000 deaths and 80% of hospitalizations. That's 4.8 million. We could have spared the state's hundreds of billions of dollars. Ten days later, the NIH changed its previously negative recommendation to doctors regarding ivermectin to neither for or against. NIH claimed there was insufficient evidence to recommend either for or against the use of ivermectin with COVID-19. NIH refused to release the names of the panel members who took part in the ivermectin discussion. They actually redacted them in Freedom of Information releases. For a time, only Anthony Fauci and Dr. Francis Collins and the panelists knew their identity. Uh, It's kind of unprecedented, by the way. The CDC, thankfully, they released everybody's name in a a subsequent Freedom of Information request. Um, And um, uh, amazingly, three of the members had disclosed financial relationships with Merck. Uh, A fourth, Susanna Nagy, she received a $155 million grant to conduct further studies of ivermectin by the NIAID. Well, I guess you wouldn't need $155 million to conduct further studies of ivermectin for something that was accepted rather than being neither for or against. Uh, Who else is using ivermectin while Lord Fauci forbids his loyal subjects to speak of it? Uh, February 2021, Tokyo Metro Medical Association added ivermectin to its outpatient treatment protocol. Several Indian states have added IVM to their list of essential medicines to treat, uh, uh, to defeat the virus. Um, Indonesia authorized its use and created a website to tell people where it was available in real time. Israel, after handing out their third Pfizer vaccine, uh, I guess that would be the first booster, uh, but they saw no reduction in death rates. They saw no reduction in hospitalization rates. They started using ivermectin in September of 2021. Uh, Well, that was officially when they started using it. Uh, They distributed ivermectin to high-risk patients. 
El Salvador hands it out for free. A December 2020 study showed that the African countries and the Asian countries that relied on ivermectin to treat and prevent the regular occurrence of parasitic diseases enjoyed the world's lowest case rates and the world's lowest mortality rates. April 2021, India adds ivermectin to their national protocol. The state government in New Delhi obliterated 97% of the cases there by distributing ivermectin. India used uh, budesonide, ivermectin, doxycycline, that's a cheap antibiotic, uh, and zinc in a combo cocktail. The total cost of the cocktail, five bucks, two to five bucks. India, a country of 1.3 billion people and about a 7% vaccine penetration um, nationally, well, they witnessed only 150,000 COVID deaths. The same time, the U.S. had 350 million souls, about 357,000 deaths. Uh, Uttar Pradesh, it's similar to the U.S. in population and geography. It's got about 241 million souls. It's a fair comparison to the United States geographically, population distribution, things like that. Uh, May to June of 2020, a research team in Agra, the fourth largest city uh, in Uttar Pradesh, uh, they administered ivermectin to all of the rapid response team members. No one got COVID despite daily contact with infected individuals. The state government then began administering doses to infected people and utilizing ivermectin as a prophylactic. By September of 2021, Uttar Pradesh, uh, the government declared the state's 33 districts were virtually COVID-free. Uh, the region's vaccination rate was 5.8%. America, by contrast, had a vaccination rate of 54%. Cases were still on the rise. We were still using draconian lockdowns and mask mandates. As of August 10th, 2021, uh, the U.S. saw nearly 162,000 new cases and over 1,000 deaths. Uh, Uttar Pradesh saw 19 new cases and one death. Over a thousand less than the United States. Uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place there. Uh, I didn't understand the statistic. That's my problem. 162,000 new cases in the U.S. as of August 10th, 2021. Uh, Uttar Pradesh saw 19 new cases and one death. I think it's a thousand times less than the United States. And again, Uttar Pradesh had 5.8% of the population vaccinated. Uh, we heard nothing of this in the media. Social media scrubbed anything positive about ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. Um, they continue to scrub anything positive about ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine as being beneficial. They bury anyone supporting those two drugs. Fauci still says ivermectin is unproven, or he refers to it as outdated treatment. The Indian state of Tamil Nadu, well, they didn't fare so well. Why not? Well, they didn't use ivermectin. They used the Fauci doctrine. Uh, they use the Fauci method, the method that we use here in the United States. Mm. Their numbers tracked right along with the United States. Their case rates and mortality tracked right along with the United States. Uh, now I want to talk to you about somebody. I think she's a real superhero. Um, she's a badass. Um, I, in reading the book uh, by RFK Jr., um, this woman's smart. She's super smart. 
she has the ability to do something that I've never had the ability to do, and that's the ability to stay calm while she's ripping somebody to shreds. Um, that's what she did to Dr. Anthony Hill. You remember that guy? I mentioned him a couple times. We're going to get into him now. Um, uh, but I want to get in uh, to Dr. Tess Laurie. Um, she's a world-renowned data researcher. She's an iconic eminence among global public health scientific agencies. The Desert Review dubbed her the conscience of medicine. That's because of her reputation for competence, precision, and integrity. She refuses to be bought. Uh, it'd be nice if we had that with the guy in charge of our health right now. The evil little man, Tony Fauci. It'd be nice if he was world-renowned for his integrity and his competence and his precision. But he's not. But I digress. Uh, this woman uh, truly is the anti-Fauci. Uh, her consulting group, they develop, and support a, uh, they, they develop and support guidelines for the WHO and the NIH and a host of health consortia like the Cochrane Collaboration. We'll talk about them later. Her clients include virtually all of the government regulators now actively suppressing ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and other repurposed off-patent medications. Dr. Lori, well, she came upon a video of Dr. Corey's Senate confirmation to our Senate committee testimony on ivermectin. Uh, she did a quick review, quick little meta review of the studies uh, Dr. Corey uh, was looking at, the 27 studies he was looking at. And here's what she said in an interview with RFK Jr. Um, After a week, I realized it was a go. IVM safety was well-established as a widely used dewormer. It was started by the, I was startled by the magnitude of its benefits. Its efficacy against COVID was consistently clear in multiple studies. I thought that all of these people were dying and this was a moral obligation. This drug should have been rolled out. She sent an urgent letter to British Health Minister Matt Hancock on January 4th with her review attached. Crickets. She never heard back from him. Coincidentally, however, someone did leak um, a Who-sponsored meta-review by Dr. Hill to the Daily Mail. Three days later, Hill would post a preprint of his study in the preprint in the month since he testified enthusiastically with Dr. Corey in front of the Senate, Dr. Hill had all of a sudden reversed course. Uh, while the study showed the same favorable data with dramatic reductions in death rates, dramatic reductions in hospitalizations from COVID, the good doctor simply claimed that the studies provided a low quality of evidence. So while they yielded positive results, Hill assigned them a low certainty and declared that the WHO should not recommend using ivermectin without first performing long-term, randomized, placebo-controlled studies that would take months, if not years, to conduct. Uh, Dr. Corey stated at the time someone got to him. Someone sent him the memo. Andrew Hill has been captured by some really dark forces. 
apparently Dr. Corey is a bit of a badass too, to speak the truth like that and speak out about somebody with the power and the connections like Andrew Hill has. On January 7th, Dr. Lori presented the overwhelming evidence from her review in a video to Boris Johnson, the British Prime Minister. She forwarded the video to the British and South African Prime Ministers too. Again, crickets. No response from any of the three individuals. January 13th, Dr. Lori assembled an invitation-only symposium of the 20 leading experts to review her meta-analysis and make evidence-based recommendations on the use of ivermectin to prevent and treat COVID-19. It was called the British Ivermectin Recommendation Development, or the BIRD study. Dr. Corey says what most of us are thinking right about now. Dr. Corey says this, Dr. Lori did what the WHO should have done. She made a thorough, open, and transparent review of all the scientific evidence. This is what the WHO should have done. This is what the National Institutes of Health should have done. This is what the NIAID should have done. And this is what Tony Fauci should have done. The Bird Conference was a day long, and the panel concluded that the evidence supported an immediate rollout of, doctor's rev- of Dr. Lori's review of the evidence surrounding ivermectin. The panel also committed to conducting a full-scale Cochrane collaboration-style meta-review of all scientific literature. They felt it was so urgent, they were going to round up some more experts, and they were going to reconvene on January 14th. <coughs> Excuse me. On January 6th, um, Dr. Lori reached Andrew Hill by phone, and she asked him to co-author the Cochrane-style meta-review. She sent him her spreadsheets. She invited him to the next Bird meeting. Stellar opportunity, right? Well, Dr. Bird, he agreed to review her spreadsheet. Dr. Lori and the group performed a new review of all the studies in literature uh, uh, up until their meeting coming up on the 14th. Excuse me. Um, they reviewed all the studies. They reviewed all the literature. They started from scratch. Uh, they assessed each study for power. And more importantly, they assessed each study for bias. She presented her draft at the Bird meeting uh, mid-January, January 14th. Of course, Hill was not in attendance. And all agreed that the best approach that the evidence suggests is to release ivermectin. She then submitted her paper and the protocol to the Cochrane Collaboration for External Scientific Review. We keep talking about the Cochrane Collaboration. You might wonder who the Cochrane Collaboration is. As RFK Jr. explains it in his book, it was founded in 1993 to address, guess what? Corruption in the pharmaceutical industry. Corruption uh, within these studies that provide approval for medications that you and I all take. The corruption that had become so pervasive in clinical trials and the release of new drugs. Uh, The Cochrane Collaboration is a group of 30,000 independent researchers and scientists. 53 large uh, research institutions who volunteer to routinely review industry data using evidence-based science to advise regulatory agencies. 
Uh, Cochrane scientists assess the power of each study, interpreting data to discount for bias, to score each study in the meta-review as high, moderate, or low certainty evidence. They determine uh, whether it's acceptable to take 21 studies and combine them into some sort of meta-review. They, they, they look at everything. They look at bias. They look at the power of the study. They look at how the evidence was gathered. And they do it independently, as it's supposed to be done in healthcare, as it used to be done back when. Um, anyway, Lori, she knew the WHO would use Hill's recommendations uh, concerning ivermectin from his study. Um, they'd also rely on the TOGETHER trial. Now, the TOGETHER trial came from McMaster University. And now, the NIH, they gave McMaster University around $1.1 million, $1 million in 2020 and 2021. Uh, a separate group of researchers at McMaster was developing their COVID vaccine. No emergency use authorization, no vaccine. Uh, recommending ivermectin would kill any emergency use authorization for a vaccine or any other drug that they needed to get to market quickly. I'm sorry. Um, that's the rationale for all of this. That's Fauci's whole rationale in squashing hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Um, any drug on the market that works towards a malady, you get no emergency use authorization. Um, it would have been devastating to the WHO, would have been devastating to the NIH. It certainly would have been devastating to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for obvious reasons. Profits. Critics accuse Gates and McMaster researchers of designing studies to make ivermectin fail. Uh, the researchers at McMaster had to know that a positive, positive recommendation for ivermectin would cost the university hundreds of millions in research grants. Uh, the TOGETHER trial organizer was none other, than, none other than Ed Mills. This is a guy who designed study for Bill Gates all the times. He's known throughout the industry as a biostitute. Um, their study, for one, targeted a population who was already utilizing ivermectin. What does that mean? Well, that means no placebo control group. That means you shield efficacy of a drug with no placebo control group. Um, oh, she's laying down. My little Labrador Bia just walked in here and laid down in her little bed. She can stay there. Um, yeah, close that, though. Uh, anyway, um, no placebo control group. No way to assess efficacy of the drug that you're studying. Um, it's ridiculous. Uh, anyway, Dr. Lori, she knew she had to persuade Mills to perform a Cochrane-style meta-analysis of this data. Uh, she spoke to Hill again. It was on a Zoom call. She recorded the call. The book has about four pages of it. I'm going to give you a little bit of it here. Um, um, uh, after she spoke to him, she concluded he wasn't even qualified to do the job he was hired to do. She wondered how he even got it in the first place. Hill had included the names of all of the authors of the seven studies he was reviewing as co-authors in the meta-analysis to review their studies. It's crazy. He was supposed to be judging the quality of work of these guys, yet he treated them as some sort of collaborators. Now, I'm sorry, I know this is somewhat dry, as is my throat. 
Um, <coughs> but it's amazing to me the links uh, that were gone to to suppress these drugs and to keep them from us and to allow half a million Americans to die unnecessarily and trillions of dollars spent in hospitalizations and handing people money to stay home. But I digress. Uh, Dr. Lori, anyway, on this Zoom call, she chastised Hill. She said, when you do a systematic review, you usually don't include the authors of the studies because that inherently biases your conclusions. It's got to be independent, she said. Um, she said this made the analysis utterly useless in making a recommendation to the WHO. She also took issue with the fact that Hill had only looked at, the out at one outcome, and that was death. Uh, a very small subset of all the data that they were looking at. Um, Dr. Lori asked Hill to explain his about face on ivermectin. How can you do this, she asked. You are causing irreparable harm. Um, she's a badass, I told you. Uh, Hill told the doctor he was in a tricky situation. His sponsors were putting pressure on him. Uh, he told me one of his sponsors was Unitaid. Um, that's what Dr. Lori said in an interview with uh, RFK Jr. Uh, Unitaid, of course, well, they're funded by, you guessed it, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Uh, they lobby governments to buy pharmaceuticals to distribute to poor Amer African nations. Its primary purpose, uh, well, seems to be protecting patents, intellectual property, and profit uh, revenue streams for pharmaceutical organizations, pharmaceutical companies. 63% uh, of its funding comes from a surtax on airline tickets. I don't know how that works, but whatever. Uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has given them over $150 million since 2005. The Global Fund, Gavi, both Gates, Darlings, and UNICEF also help fund this organization. Of course, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and Gates personally own large stakes in pharmaceutical companies that profit from vaccinating everyone everywhere four or five times. Fauci's out there touting number four right now. Don't lose track. Unite gave the University of Liverpool, Andrew Hill's employer, about $40 million just four days before the publication of Hill's study. I'd say his sponsors were pressuring him when Dr. Lori asked Hill, who was trying to influence him, he said, I mean, uh, uh, I think I'm in a very sensitive position here. Yeah, I'd say so, Doc. The book goes on, like I said, for four pages, quoting the conversation between these two who seem to be at loggerheads with one another. I'll spare you all that except to say the call ended with Lori telling Hill, I don't know how you sleep at night, honestly. Like I said, she's a badass. At the conclusion of the Bird Conference, Dr. Lori spoke out. Had ivermectin been employed in 2020 when medical colleagues around the world first alerted the authorities to its efficacy, millions of lives could have been saved. And the pandemic, with all of its associated suffering and loss, brought to a rapid and timely end. She then addressed the, corrupt, the corruption in the pharma cartel. 
The story of ivermectin has highlighted that we are at a remarkable juncture in medical history. The tools that we use to heal and our connection with our patients are being systematically undermined by relentless disinformation stemming from corporate greed. The story of ivermectin shows that we as a public have misplaced our trust in the authorities and have underestimated the extent to which money and power corrupts. Badass. They who design the trials and control the data also control the outcome, she says. So this system of industry-led trials needs to be put to an end. Data from ongoing and future trials of novel COVID treatments must be independently controlled and analyzed. Anything less than total transparency cannot be trusted. She goes on to call out Fauci and the rest of his, his ilk uh, for making us wait on mass vaccines. Since then, hundreds of millions of people have been involved in the largest medical experiment in human history. Mass vaccination was an unproven and novel therapy. Hundreds of billions will be made by Big Pharma and paid for by the public. She goes on to say, with politicians and other non-medical individuals dictating to us what we are allowed to prescribe to the ill, we as doctors have been put in a position such that our ability to uphold the Hippocratic Oath is under attack. I'd say so, Doc. I've been in healthcare 30 years myself, and I completely agree. Um, you'll be looking out for the needs of the state, not the needs of your patient. Keep hammering, Dr. Lori. We appreciate your efforts, and I salute you, ma'am. I think you're a badass. She even brings Bill Gates into this. At this fateful juncture, we must therefore choose, will we continue to be held ransom by corporate organizations, health authorities, big pharma, and billionaire sociopaths? Or will we do our moral and professional duty to do no harm and always do the best for those in our care? The latter includes urgently reaching out to colleagues around the world to discuss which of our tried and tested, safe, older medicines can be used against COVID. Never before has our role as doctors been so important because never before have we become complicit in causing so much harm. She closed her statements that night by suggesting that physicians from a New World Health Organization form a new world health organization that represents the interests of people and not those of corporations and billionaires. I love this woman. She knows what she's talking about. She's smart. She's assertive. She keeps her cool. She puts it out there like it ought to be. Uh, Andrew Hill, he resurfaced on Twitter in October of 2021. Ironically enough, promoting his lecture, The Effects of Bias and Potential Medical Fraud in the Promotion of Ivermectin. The Effects of Bias and Potential Medical Fraud in the Promotion of Ivermectin. Classic. Dr. Pierre Corey says this, Andrew is apparently making a living now accusing the doctors and scientists who support Ivermectin of medical fraud. Hill and his backers are some of the worst people in human history and are responsible for the deaths of millions. Not a lot of gray area there, Dr. Corey. Thank you very much. 
you're pretty much, like I said, a badass as well. <coughs> the FDA issued its first warning about ivermectin in April of 2020, claiming that additional testing was needed. Then Dr. Corey testified before the Senate in December of 2020. Americans were then getting legitimate prescription filled at pharmacies at the rate of 88,000 prescriptions in a single week. Well, Fauci's going to have to fix this. Him, his buddies, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the NIH, the, the WHO, they're not going to tolerate this for a second. There's a lot of money in remdesivir in these vaccines. They have to stop this nonsense. On December 24th, the South African government, kind of in a little test here, they quietly banned the importation of ivermectin. YouTube quietly scrubbed Dr. Corey's video, and Facebook blocked him. In March of 2021, the FDA, the European Medicines Association, and the WHO all issued statements advising against the use of IVM for covid the uh, European Medicines Association, they said it shouldn't be used at all. The WHO said it should only be used in clinical trials. The FDA said you should not use ivermectin to treat or prevent COVID-19. July 28, 2021, the Wall Street Journal headline asked, why is the FDA attacking a safe, effective drug? Two weeks later, the CDC ordered doctors to stop prescribing ivermectin, and the NIAID recommended against its use. August 26, the CDC sent out an emergency warning using its health alert network. September 2021, the AMA, the American Pharmacists Association, uh, and the ASHB advised doctors to immediately stop prescribing ivermectin for COVID outside of clinical trials. Why, oh why, are we going to these measures? My little man, Fauci, has been busy. All of these organizations depend on pharmaceutical companies for their very existence now. Dr. Gerald Harmon, president of the AMA, explained during an interview with Chris Hayes on MSNBC tonight that the AMA was taking this unprecedented step because, wait for it, ivermectin is not FDA-approved for the treatment of COVID-19. Well, Doc, that's disingenuous to say the least, uh, considering that 30% or more prescriptions every day are written for off-label use of a medication. The AMA, the FDA, the CIA, the NSA, the LGBTQ, everyone has recognized for decades that off-label use of a medication is acceptable. Everyone has known for decades that it's accepted practice to use any approved medication in an off-label application when anecdotal or observational evidence deems it prudent. Of course, the AMA was overlooking all the injury and deaths associated with vaccines, not to mention endorsing that the FDA should have the final say over what my doctor can use to treat me or any of his other patients. The FDA has zero authority to regulate the practice of medicine. They have zero authority to tell doctors what drugs they can use to treat maladies in their patients. Well, 
At least they had zero authority up until now. Uh, Stephen Hahn, the previous commissioner of the FDA, stated in October of 2020, uh, by the way, he was a previous commissioner. This was in October of 2020. You want to know we just got a new FDA commissioner? February of this year. So we've been without one for a year, but that's another story too. Uh, anyway, Stephen Hahn, he stated, off-label prescribing is strictly between a doctor and his or her patient. Doctors should be asking four questions about ivermectin. Is ivermectin a safe drug? Will it do harm? Are we in a situation in which authorities have not provided a proven therapeutic for COVID-19? Do treating physicians have the freedom to try medicines they have reasons to believe might be helpful, particularly when there is no reason to believe the medicine will do harm? Ask those four questions. The doctors who asked him, the doctors who prescribed ivermectin after early September were censored. It was horrendous. I've never seen anything like it, and I hope to never again. But I have a feeling I'll see a lot more of it. Uh, threats were made to these doctors concerning their licenses and their board certifications. CVS and Walmart refused to fill prescriptions for ivermectin. Pharmacy telling doctor what he can and cannot prescribe for the first time in medical history. It's amazing. The doctor-patient relationship has been shattered. Doctors have been told since the time of Hippocrates that their single obligation is to their patient. Well, the AMA just told all the doctors that their obligation was to the state. The state's policy will be to prescribe treatment based on the needs of the state, not the needs of the patient. The suppression of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine should go down in history as one of the worst crimes ever. Uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield in South Carolina sent mass mailings to doctors notifying them that Blue Cross Blue Shield would not pay for ivermectin in the state of South Carolina. And they threatened audits to those doctors if they wrote for the drug. Hell, an attorney in Syracuse, New York, created a cottage industry after he filed for an injunction on a patient, a critically ill patient, to receive ivermectin. A judge granted the request. Twelve hours after the patient got the ivermectin, she started getting better, and she was near death. Within a few weeks, this guy's working 24 hours a day, filing injunctions in Ohio and New York, and he cannot keep up with the work. Everyone he got an injunction for is still alive. Everyone he didn't died. Merck manufactures ivermectin, or at least they did originally. Sanofi manufactures hydroxychloroquine. I don't know if they're the original manufacturer, but I think they're the primary manufacturer now. Funny thing. In the early days of the offensive against iver, uh, hydroxychloroquine, Sanofi suddenly detected safety concerns in a drug that had been on the market for 65 years with millions of prescriptions and billions of pills prescribed. Um, all of a sudden, safety concerns, because Fauci said so. Well, wouldn't you know it, Merck discovered some safety concerns with ivermectin. Um, a concerning lack of safety in the majority of studies surrounding ivermectin. It was a wonder drug yesterday, but today, 
Fauci doesn't like it. It's getting, standing in the way of his vaccines and his remdesivir, so it's all of a sudden deemed unsafe. Merck doesn't care. The patent for ivermectin ran out in 1996. Dozens of generic drug companies now produce it for about 40 cents a dose. Uh, Ten days before Merck let its concerns be known about the safety of ivermectin, Merck signed a manufacturing partnership for the Novavax and Emergent Biosolutions COVID vaccine. December of 2020, Merck announced a $356 million supply deal where NIAID had agreed to purchase 60,000 to 100,000 doses of Merck's new COVID pill. You know, I think the one that never came to market. Merck had paid $425 million to buy Oncoimmune Company that developed the pill. Bill Gates' IAVI, the International AIDS Vaccine Initiative, Fauci's original money laundering scheme, of course agreed to distribute the product in developing nations. The reason why Merck would be happy to throw IVM under the bus, the real reason, Molnupiravir, Molnupiravir, it's a copycat of ivermectin. It retails for about $700 a course. Ivermectin is about $10 a course. It'll never see the light of day without the destruction of ivermectin. Molnupiravir is a protease inhibitor that mimics the antiviral properties of ivermectin. However, molnupiravir has nowhere near the safety profile of ivermectin. Uh, the safety concerns are so alarming that some co-developers at Emory University protested its introduction into human phase one trials. Among the concerns, birth defects for one. Uh, Robert Cadillac, uh, MD, former DHS, DHHS Assisting Secretary for Preparedness and Response, he created the National Strategic Stockpile. He's a staunch gain-of-function supporter. He's furthered his personal agenda, profiting from hype pandemics. He runs the $7 billion stockpile as his fiefdom to enrich his friends, family, and anyone who might be able to do something for him. He also runs a branch within the NIH that rubber stamps all of Fauci's gain-of-functions bioweapons research studies. Um, remember what gain-of-function is. I'm quoting now. It's experiments that intentionally modify a pathogen to create the ability to cause or worsen disease, enhance transmissibility, and create novel strains with potential to cause global spread in humans. Gain of function. I asked it in the episode when I first talked about gain of function, why would you do that? Why? Uh, uh, John Clarke, a lobbyist, he created BARDA. That's the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority. Uh, Clarice's motto, if you want to get to BARDA money, you got to go through me. Um, I'm telling you all this because this guy wrote the PREP Act. Uh, this is the act that protects vaccine manufacturers from liability against, their, against harm from their vaccines. No matter how negligently the company performs, no matter how grievous the injuries are to the victims, the companies are shielded from liabilities. They cannot be held liable under the PREP Act. If the injured party can prove willful misconduct, maybe. But guess what? The Secretary of Health and Human Services will decide if a lawsuit can continue should anyone be able to prove willful misconduct. 
$10 million to Emory University from the Pentagon, $19 million from NIAID to develop monopiravir as a veterinary drug for horses. Might have something to do with it. This is, this is significant because in June of 2021, HHS agreed to purchase 1.7 million five-day treatment courses from Merck for $1.2 billion when the drug earns FDA approval. A sure thing with Fauci driving the bus. A drug developed with taxpayer dollars that will cost the public $712 per dose. Something that cost Merck $17.64 per dose to develop. A drug developed with taxpayer dollars. Merck expects to make $7 billion a year from Molnupiravir. Their stock jumped a little too when Biden uh, shared the news with all of us in June of 2021 that we would be buying those $1.7 million, $1.7 million doses for $1.2 billion. Uh, August 2021, the CDC launched a campaign to paint ivermectin as a horse dewormer. We all saw what happened to Joe Rogan. We all know what happened there. It was bullshit. It should have never happened. Um, it's, the Nobel Prize was not won for a horse dewormer. It was won by those guys for, uh, for proving that it worked in humans for a variety of parasites. And I think we've proven that it works against coronavirus and SARS, any SARS-CoV-2 virus. Um, well, okay, I know you're probably glad by now because that was a lot of data, and some of it was a little dry, just like my throat, and I apologize for that. But it's data that I felt like you should hear. It's data that I feel like is being brushed aside, and I think that's what the war in Ukraine is covering up. But, hey, that's just me. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of The Storm. Uh, as always, we had a blast putting it together, uh, even scrambling to get it together in a short period of time what with being an old man and all. Uh, thank you so much for having me along in your cars and in your kitchens. Um, thanks for taking me along on your morning jog or having me out on the patio with you as you have your stogie in your old fashion. Um, please be sure to follow the storm on rumble. Be sure to follow us on Spotify. Leave us a rumble. Leave us a comment. Check out the Facebook page. Like us there too. Most importantly, share the storm with your friends, steer them into the storm until next time. Please keep the, keep the people of Ukraine in your prayers, along with your neighbors and your friends and your family. Um, may God bless and keep those brave warriors. Stay vigilant, my friends. I'll see you next time in the storm.